my name is Moon Graffon. Welcome to the Moon Graffon Podcast, where we break down the issues of the day around the United States of America. It's an honor to have uh, Mr. Jonathan Williams, a guy that I've had opportunity to interview a few times. He's a, he's a chief uh, economist uh, for executive vice president for policy, and he is a guy that is with a company called Alec, A-L-E-C, and they deal with a lot of deals with budgets, national budget, budget all over the state, uh, all over the states in the 50 states. And uh, they do an excellent job of doing some comparison. And today I wanted to invite him on a program and on a podcast to talk about what's going on at the federal government level as much as anything else. First of all, Jonathan, how you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing great, my friend. Thanks for having me. And as always, uh, greetings from the land of make-believe here in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Well, that's the difference. Y'all make believe right uh, in Washington, D.C. I live in Louisiana. We just make it up. So make believe, make it up. We, this is a great combination, you and me. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, listen, uh, talk a little bit about your company and, 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 and uh, Alec and, and tell people what that's all about for someone that may not know. Yeah, well, it's the nation's largest nonpartisan individual membership organization for state legislators across the country. So we work with the men and women who serve in their state capitals and Baton Rouge and capitals all across the country, uh, working on better policy, free market policy. So our three ALEC guiding principles are free markets, limited government, and federalism, uh, kind of the quintessential American principles uh, from the founders, right? And so we've been around for, now we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year, this fall in Washington, D.C. We were founded in 1973 by about a dozen state legislators that got around the table and said, you know what, we need a conservative voice for America in the States because we don't believe the solutions are going to come from Washington, D.C. We think the problems come from Washington, D.C. We think the solutions come from the States. And so if you believe in those ideas, we encourage you to get involved with ALEC, encourage your state legislators that you work with to get involved with ALEC. You know, we're on this uh, you know fight for freedom and better policy across the country. And we invite all of you to join us in that cause. You know, one of the one of the things that I'm trying to understand, Alex, and I'm I, I'm a little older than you are, maybe a lot, <laughs> is that I never knew spending other people's money and, and and borrowing money was such a good thing. And it's really not. But it's like it's changed years ago, a long time ago. You know, you just didn't borrow all this money. You didn't go in all this debt. And uh, now we spend our grandkids' grandkids' money for now. And I don't think the American uh, people understand the disaster this could happen. That could have on all of our money and, 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 and from here on out if we don't stop and slow down with some of the budgets. Biden just gave out his new budget. And I've been reading and watching people, and most people are laughing or crying. <laughs> and it's everything's about spend money, spend money, spend money. But used to, you had responsibility to spend money a, a, a certain way. And it seems that's kind of out the window now. That's right. And, you know, that's the big difference between what this craziness of the, this is, by the way, one of the very worst budgets I've ever seen in my life that's just been released by President Biden the other day. Uh, there's so many things that we could get into there. And just to ramp up in new spending, as we're all facing, we've all faced, we've all suffered from these 40-year highs of inflation that's been eating away the buying power of all of our money out there. And he wants to double down and triple down on this approach of spending more, even in the face of this inflation. You know, then you add to the tax increases that are part of it, you know, that, uh, you know, talk about crippling the economy. And this as we teeter on the the verge of an official recession. A lot of people feel like we've already been in a recession uh, for the last year or more. 
you know, and for a lot of people we have. Uh, but, you know, that being said, you know, he just wants to double down on the tax increase side. That's going to cripple the American recovery or avoiding the worst of the you know, recession, you know, threats that's ahead of us. Uh, but, you know, back to your earlier point, and, you know, this is the big difference between the states and the federal government. States, at least 49 out of the 50 states, Moon, you know, the only state in America that doesn't have a balanced budget amendment, you know what that one is? That is Bernie Sanders, Vermont. Probably no surprise to you. Well, by the way, I, mean, I, I, I read some more stuff about Vermont today. They want illegals to start voting. And I was joking with my producer. I said, let me guess, Vermont, Bar- uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. And he said, yep. And I said, man, it's easy to remember the crazy ones. I mean, this is that's, yeah, that's that's crazy. Right. I, I mean, know you're not talking about that, but that's the crazy. Only state- they're the only one that doesn't have a balanced budget amendment, you know, them in Washington, wow. D.C. But, you know, D.C., we don't even go through the process of trying to balance the budget. You know, the president was supposed to put out in uh, as required by law. He's supposed to put out his budget back in February. Doesn't even put it out until mid-March now. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to have the budget done well before the new federal budget year starts uh, on October 1st. And, uh, you know, year after year, they haven't been actually doing a budget. They've been passing what they call these continuing resolutions mm-hmm. that just continue all the big spending and just continue it for another year. And so, I mean, that's the big difference between the federal government and the states. The states actually have to determine the needs versus wants. They have to go through this some prioritization like we do as families across the business and uh, business sector. We do at the kitchen table every night. We have to decide needs versus wants. You know, at the end of the day, it comes down to who's going to be the adult in the room and say no when you need to actually say no and say, we don't have all the money that we, you know, want to spend on, right? We wish we could. I wish we could, you know, buy my kids everything they wanted. But at some point, my wife and I have to say no. If it was up to my four and a half year old and two and a half year old, guess what? Nobody would ever say no. no, no, <laughs> no, no. We when just you need got, these listen, grownups in the room to take over again. I had four kids. I'm telling you, they don't, they don't, they don't even like the word no. Uh, they, they like to flip it and, 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 and use the word on, on all the time, <laughs> go all the time. You know Bingo. what I'm saying? Hey, you know, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, and, and it's funny how Biden, the Democrats always blame the Republicans for wanting to cut Medicare and social security. And what's amazing about that is you go back to Ronald Reagan to today where Republicans have been in charge of the president, the presidency, the house and the Senate. They never, they never cut Medicare or, or Social Security, but yet they're always accused of that's what they're going to do. But the one thing that concerns me, and you mentioned that you deal with state budgets, the one thing that concerns me is that if you look at the federal budget and the one that, that you finished looking at with Biden, you know, they spend a lot of money on, they actually send money back to states. They send a lot of money back to states. And states like ours who get real comfortable with federal money, then they start being dependent on federal money. That's the one thing in the budget I know without looking at it, that if they can look at the state and what they send it to the states and go, you know what, we're going to cut 50% to the states. Louisiana would be devastated. But I would think a lot of states would be devastated because they're going to find a way to, I would think they would try to find a way to cut and if they have a cut, it's probably money going back to the state. So the states who can't print money would be in big trouble. Well, you hit the biggest nail on the head right there. And this is something that I've been going around for the last 20 years across all 50 states, kind of saying, you know, trying to, trying to say there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? I mean, the old Milton Friedman line about, you know, dollars coming from Washington, D.C., they're promised that there are these free dollars 
and you know people get pressured to say if you don't spend them, other states will. And there's the whole discussion around Obamacare and the expansion of Medicaid uh, through Obamacare uh, that has, you know, obviously your governor that in Louisiana, for instance, decided on that. Uh, but, you know, the 10 states or so that haven't expanded Medicaid, they're all being lobbied heavily, uh, some by private, you know, uh, lobbyists and some by you know, just those enthusiasts in big government saying you need to you know, take the money, take the money. Well, guess what? You know, you look at Louisiana and you know, two or three other states that are, you know, 45% of all fund budget coming from the Fed. And you get to that level of addiction on the federal support, and you have to, you know, ask yourself that pretty painful question, Moon, and that, you know, in this era of $31.5 trillion now, trillion with a T, of national debt, you know, how long can the Feds keep this up? And then, you know, would you want to be that state legislator, you know, holding the, <laughs> holding the bag, really, at that point, you know, if and when, really, it's, it's not if, it's when the federal government reduces its aid to the states, then what do the states do? We've already promised uh, folks that are lower income, uh, in some cases, working age, able-bodied adults that are on Medicaid now, uh, are you going to cut them off after the federal government decides to say no? And then it's your fault uh, for cutting people off of health care. I mean, that's obviously that's something nobody wants to do. But essentially, I mean, that's going to be a reality that we could be looking at in not so distant future. Yeah, you see, you just touched upon something. Like our state, I'm taking Louisiana for an example, but you can take any state that's taking Medicaid. Okay, what happens is you take it, they cut it back, and then you go to the people and say, we're going to have people in the streets. They're not going to be able to get their, their shots and medicine and all that stuff. And what they do is they shame people into going to vote taxes for people to be on a government dole. I would think what you would want to happen if I was a governor of a state I would want my record to be on how many people I got off of government that got good jobs, that were able to go to work, that it became less dependent on the government. To me, that sounds like success. But boy, in this day and time, you're right, those 10 states or whatever, 12 states that don't have Medicaid, and people are begging, go get the money, it's federal money, it's federal money. They're really smart by, by holding out because in the, in, the, in the near future, they won't need the dependency on the government and raise taxes like we are here in a lot of other states. That's right. Exactly. And especially as, as Louisiana tries to, you know, uh, really turn around the out-migration where you've had, you know, 20 or 30,000 in the last year leave Louisiana to one of the other 49 states. I mean, if you're in an out-migration scenario like many states are across the country, states like that need to figure out how to turn that around, how to make some states more competitive for employers to come in and create jobs and get people to move back in. That's, I mean, that's how you turn it around. And by raising taxes to cover, you know, whatever, you know, benefits the federal government may cut at some point, that obviously moves those states just in the opposite direction. Jonathan Williams is my special guest. He's with ALEC, and that is the American Legislative Exchange Council. Uh, He does a great job. I, I was able to interview this gentleman on my radio program, uh, and, and and really, he, he's touching the on states, but they look at the federal government and the budget as well. You know what people tell me, Jonathan? Okay, they look at a guy like you and probably say it to me, too, because they do say this to me. Well, you know, Moon, y'all keep saying that running up all this debt and uh, spending all this money is going to get us in trouble. Always, they, they say, when? You keep saying it's going to happen, when? And and I, my response to them is, when it does, and it's going to, because it's inevitable, there's no fundamentals in our economy when you're just printing money. There's no fundamentals. So anytime you look at fundamentals or anything, if they get out of whack, something bad happens. And I said, but when it does, 
you're not going to like the consequences. And I and I look at it as what worries me, I don't know about you and you're younger than me, do you want to go through a Great Depression? I don't. I don't want to ever be near Great Depression because I didn't read enough and talked to enough people that have gone through that, and they tell me it takes 10, 12 years to even try to get out of something like that. You know, you don't want to go through that. But when, but when you look at this, is there a when, when, what time frame that something's going to end up blowing? Well, that's a that's a, a trillion, multi-trillion dollar oh, yeah. question. That's why I asked right you. <laughs> that's why yeah, I asked that's you. right. Well, I think my answer initially for those that ask, you know, when are we going to pay for this? You know, I think the answer to some degree is we already are paying for the overspending. We're going to pay for it twice. We're paying for it right now because anybody that's gone to the grocery store in the last year Absolutely. knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> or, or to Home Depot or, or to any place, the gas station or anything else. We've seen what inflation has done. That's a direct result of the overspending in the Federal Reserve action. Now, second, the way we're going to pay for it, and we already are in some real estate areas, as the Federal Reserve comes in, by definition, trying to slow the economy down right now by raising interest rates and stopping aggregate demand is a theory of the Federal Reserve is, you know, we're going to feel it in terms of housing values, you know, going down in many parts of the country. And some markets are are down already double digits uh, from their highs. Now, obviously, some of that was overinflated with these artificially low interest rates for the last decade, you know, and some of that needed to happen in terms of the interest rates going up from zero anyways. But that is another way we pay for it. And then, of course, the final way we pay for it is we actually cut the check and retire the debt. And whether we do that through, hopefully, good economic policies that lead to a strong American economy and, and growth that will help pay that debt off, or when, whether we you know, have to pay for these you know, debt instruments as they come due, um, you know, that is you know, the, the last way that we pay for it. But I think what you're, the question essentially, though, is do we get to a crisis moment as a country uh, that we would have some sort of a, a default scenario where you know, a foreign you know, government that owns a large percentage of our debt would call that debt or there would be some sort of inability to pay. You know, I don't know that we're anywhere close to not being able to pay at the moment. Uh, but that being said, I mean, we've got a lot of real threats around the world right now of countries that don't really like us. If we watch the, the, the international news lately and uh, the way that the debt has grown, you know, even from the last financial crisis, 2008-2009, let's not forget the national debt was a big problem back then, and it was under $10 trillion. It almost seems quaint to what it's at right now at 31 and a half. Um, and so this trajectory is unsustainable. The one thing that kind of keeps the United States in the game, as you know, the moon is the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency at the moment. And uh, like I said, we've got powerful adversaries all around the world that are working hard every single day to dethrone the dollar, whether that's through digital dollars in China that they're working on, or that's Russia and other countries trying to undermine the U.S. dollars through other arrangements, if they would be successful at that, I think then it becomes a much more likely scenario we face some sort of a debt crisis sooner rather than later. Yeah. It's a big concern, Jonathan Williams, my special guest. Jonathan, uh, a couple other things real quick with you. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but I'm sure you did. the the bank in Silicon Valley uh, had a big the big run on it, and uh, I guess the feds had to go in and take it over. Have you followed that story? Yeah, that's a you know it's a late breaking story here, but I, I saw that headline in the Wall Street Journal today. How concerned are you are are you about that story being bigger than just that story? I'm just kind of curious. 
Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, um, let's hope it's not bigger. If it's bigger, you know, this could be some big uh, potential start to a, a major financial problem, once again, as an economy. You know, as I understand it, uh, reading, you know, really knowing not much more than it's in the newspaper right now about the background of these individual banks, but there's a couple of major concern. Uh, another of the banks said, uh, I think, heavy ties to the cryptocurrency uh, lending space uh, was down pretty significantly as well. Um, you know, it sounds like the FDIC is stepping in, as you mentioned, and at least securing the depositors uh, and their uh, insured deposits mm-hmm. up to the FDIC limit. Uh, if you're an investor on the equity side and own stock in those banks, uh, you're probably not nearly as lucky um, as having a federal backstop on the FDIC deposits. But the larger question is, is there something you know bigger going on? It seems to me, at least at the moment, uh, that you have the larger banks uh, that are not getting into more of this kind of industry-specific lending, uh, or at least holding up right at the moment. Uh, that's no guarantee, obviously, of the future. Uh, but right now, it seems like at least it's an isolated case with okay. a, a few of the banks that are very much specialized into particular industry lending. I, I just know when you have something like this happen on the weekend and all the talk shows run with it, uh, I'm just concerned that they, they'll they make something grow, make it bigger by just talking about it. And uh, I, I just didn't know if anything else that you heard anything else could drop after what happened in Silicon Valley. And that's, that's why I asked the question to you. The other thing is... Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about inflation, too, because uh, when I look at this and I look at inflation, it seems to be a lot harder on you than tax increases. In other words, tax increases can hurt you. But, boy, inflation can really hammer you, and it can hammer you on all the things you mentioned early in the program, uh, you know, from food to gas to wherever, uh, wherever, whatever you would spend your money. You know, taxes don't seem to hurt nearly as bad as inflation, but we got higher taxes in a lot of places and inflation. It's kind of a double whammy right, right now, wouldn't you say? Well, right. And this is kind of the the thing I've been, you know, really worried about for a couple of years now. It's come come together and crystallized, and that's the stagflation, which is the lack of economic growth as well as record high inflation, similar to what we saw in the Jimmy Carter years. And then you add to that, you know, additional tax increase proposals from the Biden administration, you know, certain states now like California, you know, looking to raise taxes, you know, once again, New York and others where in previous years, you know, states have been you know, mostly cutting taxes and that continues in the red states and probably a lot of the purple states. Yeah. But you combine the tax increases, the inflation, lack of economic growth. And, you know, it's really no surprise why these markets are as jittery as they are, as we've seen in, in the Dow and the, in the NASDAQ in recent days. And, you know, your, your point about, you know, does even an isolated example with a couple of banks going under, does that you know, tip the scales on a, jitter, a jittery market overall into something that's much bigger? You know, that's something that obviously is going to play out over the next number of days. Let's hope that's not the case. But, you know, the inflation tax, I mean, that's how it really is. It's a hidden tax. And it's what we're paying for the overspending now that's gone on, you know, for far too long for the last decade. Well, that's another question. Uh, you came out with your 14th edition, Rich State, Poor State. If people will pick it up, pick up the book, uh, give us a little bit about what's in the book. Does it cover 50 states? What's all in the book of uh, Rich State, Poor States? Well, it's, a, you know, it's a great publication that's also available online for a free download. For all your listeners, uh, richstatesporestates.org is the website for that. You can also get it at alex.org. Uh, but it's essentially Art Laffer and Steve Moore, uh, the former Wall Street Journal uh, writer, 
and now uh, our friend that's uh, out on TV on Fox quite often. You know, we've wanted to put this uh, book together now 15 years ago to say to your state legislator for concerned citizens or businesses across the country, you know, how does your state rank versus the other 49? And on important variables, you're looking at the performance side. And I know the other day we talked about Louisiana at 50th for Mm -hmm. performance. And, you know, how is it that that came about, whether it's the migration numbers or the GDP that we look at or the job growth numbers. But more importantly, you know, going forward, we create a forecast based on current policies in the state that we call the economic outlook ranking. And then at that point, we can say, based on where the state stands today on public policy, like taxes and regulation and labor policy, how successful we think that state's going to be in the years ahead. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've put together. We've kept those variables the same over the last 15 years. And uh, we really, I think, have, have hit the nail on the head when it comes to predicting who some of the most successful economic growth states uh, have been over the last uh, yeah, decade. I noticed. And a half I noticed now. we didn't. We didn't rank too high. <laughs> that's right. Louisiana was fifty out of fifty. That's not too good. That's right. Well, at least a glass half uh, empty, glass half full. Right? There's nowhere to go but up. At that's that correct. Point, right. That's correct. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and, and and I'll let you go in just a second. But I know that uh, I, I I agree with you. But in our case, you got to have people that want to move the ball in the right direction. And we seem to have people that want to do that. We don't seem to have enough of them. And that's our problem. We get close to doing something and we decide, nah, we like where we are. You know, I don't want to be known as a state with the motto of uh, 50th and and damn well proud of it. I I don't want to have that. So we got some people trying to do something here and and I'm hoping and praying that we can change that around. Jonathan, uh, well, let's hope. I mean, yeah. yeah, you got a new governor coming in, whether it's one way or the other. Thank you're going to have a new voice there in the governor's office. I think that's going to be key. And, you know, I, I come from a state, as you know, Moon, uh, Michigan's my home state originally before moving to Virginia in the D.C. area. And we were on that 50s out of 50 ranking for many years under Jennifer Granholm, who now unfortunately is the uh, oh, yeah. Secretary of uh, Energy under the Biden administration. Uh, but it was a, t- a single state recession that we were in for almost a decade in Michigan as the auto manufacturing industry all moved overseas and whatnot. I mean, and uh, we turned it around. So, I mean, the good news is if there's, if we can turn it around in Michigan, there's hope for Louisiana and other states at the bottom. Well, I'm agree with you. Look, I'm going to let you go. Jonathan Williams, our friends with Alec, A-L-E-C, and uh, it's American uh, Legislative Exchange Council. Uh, thank you so much. God bless, and I appreciate it. And I just want to let people know if they will uh, make sure you check out the Moon Graffon podcast. On, wherever you get your podcast, we're on most of the places that you get them. Please subscribe. We want you to subscribe and, and let people know more about us as we cover national issues. God bless. Have a great day.